0: my title today is kingdom will kingdom way kingdom well and i guess i can't ever give pastor a hard time for making a long title anymore (laughs) in speaking of his kingdom this is not a phrase from a fairy tale pastor has said many times that we do not exist in a democracy we may live here in america but our souls exist for the kingdom of heaven. And it truly is a kingdom, and there truly is a king who rules over all of it. In the Old Testament, we see some of the writers who proclaimed the kingdom of God. Psalm 103, 19 said, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all psalm 145 13 says thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations and in daniel 4 and 3 king nebuchadnezzar said how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation and this was a king that had not been a believer so for him to say that that was those are mighty and powerful words we don't have to worry if this kingdom will fall to another we don't have to be concerned if this kingdom's currency will fail or if the king will turn against his people we have promises and we have his word that this kingdom will stand forever so today i'd like to present to you a mathematical equation regarding the kingdom kingdom will plus kingdom way equals kingdom will the will of god what needs to happen plus the way of god the way his will needs to happen equals all will be well it may not be what you think it's going to be and it may not turn out how you think it's going to turn out but all will be well so this morning for our lesson we are going to go back and pick up a traditional type of sunday school lesson and we are going to study the story of joseph this morning i don't want to assume that all of you know the story of joseph so we're going to hit all of the main points and a lot of the details so a lot of our lesson will be considering the life of Joseph this morning. It is such an intriguing story with lots of plot twists and turns. It almost reads like a soap opera or a a drama. Um, And so we first meet Joseph in Genesis chapter 30. His father is Jacob. This was before his name was changed to Israel. His mother was Rachel. So that was Jacob's beloved and favorite wife. And at this point, Jacob had already fathered ten sons and at least one daughter by his other wife, Leah, and two handmaids. So we skip down to chapter 37 to actually pick up with the story of Joseph. And by this time, Jacob has taken his family out of his father-in-law Laban's home. Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, and he has reconciled with his brother Esau. So let's pick up, and we're going to begin reading in chapter 37. And it's going to be very scripture-heavy reading this morning. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. That means they bowed down. And his brethren said unto him shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us and they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words and he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said behold i have dreamed a dream more and behold the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me and he told it to his father to his brethren and his father rebuked him and said unto him what is this dream that thou hast dreamed shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth and his brethren envied him but his father observed the saying a few verses later we find out that Joseph's brothers are off tending the flocks and Jacob asked Joseph to go check on them And so when his brothers saw Jacob walking in the distance, Scripture tells us that they conspired together to kill him. He did have one brother, however, Reuben, who said, No, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit here. Because Reuben's actual plan, Scripture records, was that when the brothers left, Reuben was going to come back and rescue him because he knew that his father loved Joseph. So, that's what they did. They stripped him of his beautiful coat of many colors, and they threw him into the deep pit. Now, before Reuben could actually return to rescue him, a band of Ishmaelite traders came through, headed down to Egypt to sell goods. And so, one of the other brothers, Judah, said, What does it profit us if he dies, or if we just leave him in this pit? That's no good to us. Let's sell him and make some money. So that's what they did. They pulled him out of the pit and sold him to the slave traders and they made 20 pieces of silver. So he wasn't a very expensive young man. wasn't worth a whole lot. So they brought Joseph into Egypt. I read a book a couple of months ago, the Handbook on the Pentateuch. And if you enjoy the history of the Old Testament, specifically the first five books, This is a great book because it goes really in depth and in detail of the history and the narrative of those books. So the author, Chris Paris wrote, with the brothers taking center stage at the beginning of the story, the real enemy lurks in the distant future, waiting for a chance to devastate the family of Jacob. Abraham and Isaac had both faced this adversary But the stakes, however, would be much higher this time. If not for the hand of the Lord interrupting Joseph's happy life to prepare him to deliver his family, the enemy might have actually ended the line of Abraham and devoured all the promises that God had given to Abraham and to Isaac. So we pick back up on Joseph's story in chapter 39. Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard, bought him from the slave traders. So we begin in verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. He didn't even know what he had. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So during this time, Potiphar's wife continually commanded Joseph to lie with her. Of course, and thankfully, Joseph continually refused. However, she became really aggressive one day, and she grabbed his outer garment, his outer coat, and she commanded him again. So this time, because he felt like he was being held captive, he fled from her. And when he did, he left his outer garment in her hands. So she used this garment as false proof against him that he had attempted to rape her. And so of course, none of the other men were around in the house. Um, And so when Potiphar heard the accusation, scripture tells us that his wrath was kindled. So we pick back up in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Talking about Joseph. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Are you seeing the pattern here? It seems no matter Joseph's circumstances, the Lord continued to bless him, and he found favor, no matter if it was in the prison or as a slave. And so while he was in prison, it so happened that Pharaoh got mad at his chief butler and his chief baker, and so he threw them into prison as well. Since Joseph was the overseer, he was charged with watching over the baker and the butler as well, and they remained together in prison for a season and so one night the butler and the baker both dreamed dreams and the next morning when joseph found them they were very sad because they could not figure out the interpretation of their dreams and so joseph said tell me your dreams he told them he said interpretations belong to god so why don't you recount your dreams to me so the chief butler began telling of his dream in chapter 40 verse 9 and the chief butler told his dream to joseph and said to him In my dream, behold, there was a vine before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house for indeed, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. So the chief baker is thinking, well, that's a really good interpretation. I, I, I want that too. So here, let me tell you my dream. So beginning in verse 16, the baker said, When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I was also in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of bake meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. I can just imagine the baker's like, yeah, go ahead, keep keep telling me the good stuff here but it wasn't, Joseph said, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, not just lift up thine head, lift up thine head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Scripture doesn't record the baker's response to that, but I just can imagine it was terrible. And sure enough, three days later was Pharaoh's birthday and he pulled the chief baker and the chief butler out of prison. He decided to restore the butler and he hanged the baker. Verse 23 says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Author Chris Paris wrote, God delayed Pharaoh's knowledge of Joseph, waiting for a man who needed nothing to call for the only man who could interpret his dream. So that was God's delaying of time. Two years later, while Joseph was still in prison, Pharaoh himself had a dream. In his dream, as he stood by the river, there were seven healthy cattle that came out of the river and ate in the meadow. After that, seven other cattle who were ill and sickly also came out of the river, and they ate the seven healthy cattle. So he awoke, thought on it. And went back to sleep after that he dreamed a second time and he saw seven good ears of corn come up on one stalk and after that seven ill or sickly looking ears of corn that says, scripture says had been blasted by the east wind they sprung up and devoured the seven good ears of corn scripture says that the next morning his spirit was very troubled he, didn't, he knew it meant something, but he didn't know what to do. So he called for all the magicians and the wise men in Egypt, and no one could give him an interpretation. It was at that very moment that the butler said, hey, I remember a guy, I remember a man back a couple of years ago in prison. He interpreted my dream. I'm sure he could help you. So Pharaoh called for Joseph, and Joseph came out of prison, he had to shave, he had to change his clothes. I'm sure he was a mess, but finally he stood before Pharaoh. So even though Joseph had been through all kinds of terrible things, he never forgot God. Because when Pharaoh heard that Joseph could interpret this dream, he said, you, you interpret it, you're the wise man. And Joseph replied, it is not in me. He said, it is God that shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. It is not me. So Pharaoh then told his two dreams to Joseph, and Joseph gave him the interpretation. There was to come seven years of great plenty, lots of good food, lots of crops. The land was going to be rich. And then after that, there would be seven years of hard famine, and that famine would consume the land so joseph advised pharaoh you need to look for a discreet and a wise man that could oversee the land of egypt he advised him to take up a fifth part of the food every year and store back all of that extra food for those seven years of hard famine so we're going to pick back up in chapter 41 verse 38 where pharaoh replied and pharaoh said unto his servants can we Find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Pharaoh already acknowledged at that point. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Egypt was a massive and a rich kingdom at that point. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. That meant nothing was getting done without Joseph knowing about it or approving of it. Chris Paris wrote, although the answer of peace could be construed as the interpretation that joseph gave of the seven years of plenty and seven years of want joseph himself actually turned out to be pharaoh's answer of peace only a man with joseph's god-given talents managerial skills and wisdom could save egypt and the world from the evil enemy god had finally revealed the enemy famine would soon claw its way through the earth consuming all that it could, threatening the very existence of not only one of the greatest kingdoms on earth, but also a small but significant family in the land of Canaan. Forgetting his coat of many colors, forgetting the garments stolen by Potiphar's wife, and forgetting his prison garb, Joseph found himself in royal robes, ready to confront famine. So Joseph had been sold as a slave when he was 17 years old. And at age 30, he stood before Potiphar, uh, before Pharaoh. So for 13 years, he had been a slave and with Potiphar and in prison. So during the first seven years of good and richness, Joseph managed the food supply and he gathered and he stored up plenty. So much so that the Bible says the corn was without number. That's a lot of corn. Also during the years of, of plenty, Joseph and his wife had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And when the seven years of famine came, the people came unto Pharaoh and cried, "'What do we do? We are hungry.' And Pharaoh told them, "'Go unto Joseph. Whatever he says to do, you do it.' And scripture says that Joseph opened all the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians And that people from surrounding areas and other countries and kingdoms came to Joseph because they were hungry, and he sold to them. So this is the juicy part of the story when the brothers come back. So beginning in Genesis 42, Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, and their area where they were in Canaan was also in a famine. So Jacob sent his ten sons down to Egypt to buy corn. However, he did not send his 12th son, Benjamin, who was his youngest and also Joseph's um, full brother. He did not send him because he didn't want anything to happen to him as well. So when the 10 brothers arrived in Egypt, they came to Joseph and bowed before him because he was the governor of the land. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers did not recognize him. So Joseph decided to test their character And find out about his family he labeled them much to their dismay as spies he said you're you are spies get out of here you are spies they told him no they were all 12 brothers of the same man 10 of them were there one was with their father and they said one is not see how that was kind of it's like a half truth right one is not because they didn't know about him And so Joseph claimed, you are lying. You are spies. You can only prove that you are not spies if you bring your youngest brother to me. That's the only way I'm going to believe you, is you have to bring that youngest brother. So then he just put them into prison for three days. Just for good measure, they probably deserved it. They probably needed to be there, so they spent three nights. And after three days, he brought them out and he gave them corn and said, you can go ahead and bring corn back to your family. However, I'm gonna keep Simeon back, and he's gonna be my prisoner until you bring your youngest brother back to prove that you are not actually spies. So we pick up in chapter 42, verse 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, And we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. They knew they were getting what they deserved. And Reuben answered them and said, spake I not unto you, saying, do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake to them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about them from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack. Remember, they couldn't understand him and they weren't watching this happen. And to give them provision for the way and thus did he unto them. So on their journey home, brothers opened their sacks to give provision to their donkeys or camels whatever they had ridden and they found the money that were in that was in their sacks so they became afraid and said what is this that god hath done to us now now it's getting really bad god is now punishing us and jacob their father was also very displeased and afraid when they returned home and told all that had happened Verse 36 says that Jacob said, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and now you want to take Benjamin? All of these things are against me, he said. He told them they weren't taking Benjamin. So at this point, I feel bad for Simeon because he's left in jail over there, right? I mean, the dad's like, you're not taking Benjamin, so he's just going to have to sit and rot because it's just too bad, (laughs) So beginning in chapter 43, the famine was still sore in the land and Jacob's family had already eaten up all the corn and they were hungry again. So Jacob again asked his boys, can you please go down into Egypt and buy more corn? So Judah reminded his father that the Egyptian governor had said, if you don't bring your brother, you're not going to see my face again. He said, we can't until you allow us to bring Benjamin so jacob became displeased all over again and asked why they had even mentioned they had a younger brother so at this point i can just see when a mom and dad are are irritated with a child what in the world were you thinking that's exactly i see the face that jacob has what were you thinking when you said you had a younger brother but they told jacob the governor specifically asked what about your father do you have any other brothers so judah then said i will be surety you can have my life give us benjamin let us take him down but if he doesn't return i will be the one that's surety for the life of benjamin so jacob finally agreed and the brothers set out with the original money that was sent home with them and double money they wanted to make sure the egyptians were pleased with their money So upon arrival in Egypt, Jacob saw that Benjamin was actually with them. So he asked the steward of his house, he said, make a feast, make a big feast for us. So they invited the brothers to the feast and they all sat down. Now Egyptians and Hebrews could not sit at a meal together. That was an abomination to the Egyptians. And so they had to sit separately. So Joseph as the master of the feast would send food over to the table of the brothers. And scripture says that he sent five times as much food to the plate of Benjamin as the other brothers. That's a lot. I don't even know that he could eat all of that. But that's a lot of food, five times. But he was showing his favoritism and his love to his brother at that point. And so after the meal, Joseph commanded his steward to fill every man's sack with corn, put their money back into the sack, and to even put Joseph's silver cup into the sack of benjamin so again the men did not know that he said all of this and they weren't watching the sacks being filled so the next morning the brothers were sent on their way but when they weren't too far off joseph told his steward okay go after the men and when you find them ask why are you repaying good with evil why did you steal the master's cup so Of course, the steward overtook the men, and the brothers were very confused when the steward asked them why they had repaid that. They had no idea that the silver cup was in Benjamin's sack, and neither did Benjamin. So scripture says that the brothers said, With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we will also be our Lord's bondsmen. I think they were feeling pretty sure that nobody had stolen the cup, right? But unfortunately, the cup was in Benjamin's sack. And scripture tells us that they rent their clothes. They were in such anguish, they tore at their clothes. And instead of continuing homeward, they headed back to Egypt to talk to the governor. So Judah was the one to, to speak up and try to clear their names. Remember, he was the one who had vowed himself as surety. He was like... Oh, no, I I do not want to go home without without our little brother. You, You have got to listen to us. And he recounted their story to Joseph, and he said, We can't return home without our brother. In verse 31, Judah told him, It shall come to pass when he, talking about his father, when he seeth that the lad is not with us, he will die. And thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of our father with sorrow to the grave so either judah didn't want to lose his life or judah didn't want to be the cause of his father dying of a broken heart and grief so judah instead offered himself i will be your servant i will be your servant just please let my brother go and it was then that joseph could no longer keep up the facade he made all the egyptians leave the room and he revealed himself to his brothers scripture records that he wept aloud and he inquired about his father He wanted to know so much about his father. But his brothers were so afraid, they could not answer him. And here we come to a key part in the story of Joseph. So we're going to pick back up in chapter 45, verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five, talking about five more years, in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance." so now it was not you that sent me hither but god and he hath made me a father to pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of egypt so when pharaoh heard this news that that was actually joseph's family he told joseph send your family back to get their families i'm going to give you wagons i'm going to give you provision for the way send them back and, and bring all of your family to live in egypt And that is what they did. They went back and got their families, and they got their flocks. And chapter 46, verses 1 through 4, closes out this particular part of the story. And Israel, Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I and he said i am god the god of thy father fear not to go down into egypt for i will make i will there make of thee a great nation i will go down with thee into egypt and i will also surely bring thee up again and joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes this particular story is a beautiful story and it has a beautiful ending of redemption and family unity and the saving of a people from a famine. I've left out a lot of details, so if you want to revisit that story, it's chapters 37 through 50, and you'll get the beginning all the way to the end of Joseph. Chris Paris wrote, Joseph finally understood why God had put him through all of his ordeals. Although possessing great knowledge about everyone else's business and dreams, he had often found himself unable to answer the perplexing question, why? As he sat in the pit, as he sat in slavery, and as he sat in prison. With all now revealed, Joseph had a tremendous amount of power. Before we close out Joseph's story, I want to reread four of the last verses because these are part of our, part of our focus and part of our transition. Chapter 45, where Joseph is speaking to his brothers after he revealed himself, beginning in verse five, he says, now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Who sent him? God. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years, in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. Verse 7 says, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Who sent him? So now, in verse 8, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I think it's incredible that at that moment joseph knew and understood that it was god's hand that was guiding all along did he know that while he was in the pit i don't know did he know that while he was in slavery Eh, i'm not sure did he know that when he was in prison for a crime that he didn't commit maybe maybe not probably not But what we do know during those times was that Joseph didn't forget God, nor cast him aside out of anger or out of self-pity. And believe me, he had a lot of opportunities to feel sorry for himself. He had every reason to feel sorry for himself, but he allowed God's will to happen the way it needed to happen. And all was well, he had to go through some things. He had to suffer. He had to be at the receiving end of hate and of lies. But it was all for a purpose. It was for a kingdom purpose, to save the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that God's promises could be fulfilled. And as humans, we don't want to have to suffer, do we? We don't wanna be at the receiving end of any negativity. It hurts it's completely unpleasant and we we would like to avoid it at all cost but what if it is ever for a purpose i'm not saying every negative thing that happens to you happens for a purpose but what if there are some things that are for a kingdom purpose sister lana sings a beautiful song where it asks what if his blessings come through raindrops and what if his healing comes through tears What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know he's near? And what if the trials of this life are his mercies in disguise? It takes guts to seek his will and to put his kingdom first. Anyone can go through life living day to day, being a good citizen, being a kind person, being an ethical person and never yet seeking what the will of God is for their lives. It takes a strong man and a strong woman to put their own agendas aside and say, what is your will for my life? It takes a strong person to say, I'm putting my flesh aside. I'm going to die to it. What is your will for my life? Jesus modeled this for us. And if he modeled it, we should be doing it too, right? Out of all of the people we should emulate, it should be him. In Matthew six, where the Lord's prayer is recorded as we learned from brother Chris, he taught us how to pray. And part of that says, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And later in that same chapter, Jesus taught them also As recorded in Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In John 4 and 34, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. In John 6 and 38, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So not the will of the flesh part, but the will of God. And of course, a scripture that is very familiar to us. When Jesus was about to pay the ultimate price on Calvary, Luke 22 and 42, he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that is a prayer that we need to pray. You know, God, I don't, I don't really want to go through this. I don't really want to have to deal with this situation. I, I really don't want any pain. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And once we have sought the will of God, we move to the way of God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go fast through the rest of my notes. How do we seek the will and way of God? By prayer and his word. God will speak to you when your heart truly is hungry and when you are open to hearing what the will is. You can seek out godly counsel from people, but can I please encourage you to to make sure you're receiving counsel from someone who is Holy Ghost-filled and has the fruit of the spirit evident in their lives? Make sure who you're listening to as your godly counsel. You may be getting good counsel and kind counsel, even smart counsel, but it may not be godly counsel if they are not full of the Holy Ghost and have the fruit of the Spirit evident in their lives. So be careful. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5. He said, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The Greek word for understanding there is sunyami, and this means to consider, to understand, to perceive. Consider what the will of the Lord is. Do your best to understand it. And regarding this scripture, Barnes' note on the the Bible, it says, Be not fools in the employment of your time and in your manner of life. Show true wisdom by endeavoring to understand what the will of the Lord is and then doing it. Is that not so simple? Not only do you try to understand it, but once you understand it, do it. And the pulpit commentary says, The will of the Lord is the great rule of the Christian life. To know and in a deeper sense understand this is to walk wisely and to walk surely. So not only do we wanna seek for his will, but we want to seek for his will to be done his way. There are multiple ways to do multiple things. Usually there's only one good way to get at an end solution. There are multiple ways to load any given dishwasher. If you ask any family where multiple people do the dishes, There are multiple ways to load a dishwasher. Who knows what's the best way? The creator of the dishwasher. They know the exact placement of the dishes to get the cleanest and best results possible. And guess what? As humans, who knows best? Our creator. He knows us best. He knows the best way. And let's take a quick minute to um, check our attitudes also while we're allowing God to have his way. While we're allowing God to have his way, are we behaving like toddlers with a temper tantrum? Are we grumbling and complaining the whole time because life isn't fair? We don't deserve this. And does God even really love us? Yes, he does. He does. And he really knows what's best for us. But that's what we don't want to hear we don't want to hear that we're going to have to go through trials. We don't want to hear that things aren't going to be pretty, that things aren't going to be easy. But if you want the end of the formula to work, we have to do it from the heart. We have to do it with a good attitude and say, God, you, you've got to help me. This doesn't feel good. I don't want to have a good attitude. You can be honest with Him because He knows your heart anyway, right? He knows. So, in closing, I want to come to the last part of that equation. Paul encouraged the Hebrews in chapter 10 to hold fast to the faith and encourage each other. And beginning in verse 35, he encouraged them, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. So the end of the formula After you have done the will of God comes the promise, and the promise ends with a king returning for his bride, a bride that has made herself ready and said, your will and your way. This formula doesn't fail. It may not be pleasant at times, and it may not be pretty, but it absolutely will not fail you. Would everyone stand for this morning? The seed of this message came about when we watched a live production of Esther, and it was a beautiful retelling of an ancient story. It's also another example of this exact formula. Esther allowed herself to be used through the will of God and by his particular way to save her people from destruction. My overwhelming thought as we sat at the end of the production and tears were flowing, and I said, God, you do all things well. There was disappointment, there was distrust, almost disaster and destruction, and God just orchestrated that story so beautifully. All things well, just as in the story of Joseph. The kingdom will not fail you, and you can be absolutely certain that the king is not going to fail you you are his child and he loves you with an everlasting love his eyes are upon you whether you feel them or not his eyes are upon you he watches your every move he longs to be part of every decision every day and every desire of your heart it is his desire that you prosper it is his desire that you are healed and it is his desire that you have comfort and have joy but there is a responsibility that is waiting for all of us to seek his will, to allow him to have his perfect way. All will be well. As they play and sing this morning, I want you to take a few moments and talk to God. Say, God, I want it your way. I do, it's hard, I'm human. I understand God. I understand that I I may not always understand your will, but your will is going to be perfect and it is going to be beautiful. Would you acknowledge that to your Creator this morning, that God, I surrender to you. I surrender and you can do it right now. God, I surrender to you no matter what's going on in my life. I know your will may be hard some days. Some days it may be easy, but God, some days it's hard and it's not what I would consider beautiful. But you, our Creator, do all things well. And we acknowledge you this morning and we give you glory.